contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome back to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. I want to share with you on this podcast a speech I gave. This was in February 2018, the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference big-time conference sports leaders in analytics and business and law and policy. Even Barack Obama spoke at this conference. I spoke on life behind the curtain, inside the front office. I take you through my path, my career path, all the way up to the Packers and beyond. But the reason I'm releasing this podcast this week with this speech is that a lot in this speech is about the drafting. Here we are in the NFL draft, the drafting of Aaron Rodgers, 2005 Blow by blow, what happened in that draft room, how we landed a player who turned out to be pretty good, how the best player in football landed in our lap. So I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, my competitive advantage speech at the Sloan Analytics Sports Conference in February, Life Inside the Front Office. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to get into all the things I've done, especially with the Green Bay Packers, because I know people want to sort of go behind the curtain on what happens inside an NFL front office. I think it's instructive to do a little bit on my career getting up to that point, which is a circuitous path. I've been fortunate to be around sports from a lot of different angles, to be an agent many years, to be a team executive, both in the NFL and in the World League, the first iteration of NFL overseas, and also talk about what what really happens behind, like I said, that curtain, and we'll get into that. But my life was uh, an agent for many years. Uh, after Stanford, and again, where I, I'm from, D.C., I go across country to Stanford. I come back home for law school at Georgetown University. I started working at ProServe, a big agency in D.C. And I was lucky enough to work with David Falk, who was kind of the NBA super agent. He had Mike Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson, all these great stars But I saw opportunity there because we had a small football practice. And I'm like, I'm going to do football because David's so invested in basketball. And here I was building up a little football practice, which got going. And then I remember I was doing a contract with the Minnesota Vikings general manager, Ron, I'm sorry, his name, Mike Lynn. And he says to me after we do our contract, this is six years of being an agent. He says, do you speak Barcelonan? I said, is that Spanish? Yeah, it turned out it wasn't. I said, yeah, I took it in high school, whatever. Uh, How'd you like to be the first general manager of the Barcelona Dragons? I'm like, what's that? Well, we're introducing football around the globe. It's going to be great. You'll love it. I was young, single, Barcelona. Okay, I'll do it. I had no coaches, no players, no staff. What do I do? Hire a coach. Who do I hire? They give me names like Mike, you know, this guy, Norv Turner. You should interview him. This guy, Tony Dungy. He's pretty good. Pete Carroll, talk to him. So I did, and they all are great, and they're like, Andrew, it sounds great, but no freaking way, I'm not going to Spain. I like, I got it. I interviewed Jack McNell. He was at Boston College. I loved him. I said, you're hired. He said, I got assistants. He said, they're, I said, they're hired. You want to meet them? No. I got trainers, video guys. You want to meet them? No, they're hired. So we moved along. We created a football team in about 10 days. I drafted 80 players, told 40 they couldn't come to Spain with us. We get to Spain. They'd sold 173 tickets. 
to opening day. I'm like, how many does this stadium hold? 40,000. Well, in Spain, they walk up. Well, that's a lot of walk up. Anyway, so my biggest marketing uh, genius in my life happened there where I said, okay, here's what we got to do. We meet, I get a meeting with the general manager of Football Club Barcelona, who's playing the night before us in a a stadium with 100,000 people. I'm telling the NFL, we'll get, we'll get 15,000, I promise. I'm like, I don't know. I say, can we, I say, what do you guys do at halftime? What do you mean? What do you do at halftime? What do you mean? What do you do at halftime? What do you mean? What do you do from the time they go in to the time they go out? And the general manager of FC Barcelona literally says to me, we smoke cigarettes. I'm like, no, what do you do on the field? So I said, can we run the ball, kick the ball, throw the ball, say tomorrow night, Montreal Stadium, Barcelona Dragons? He's like, we still smoke. Yes. So we do it, and thank God, the next night, 18,000 people walk through that door. Now, I probably gave out 6,000 tickets, but okay. And then I got to worry about the product on the field. Oh, my God, we look like junior high the first half. We get out there second half. We hit the tight end for a seam pattern. He breaks three tackles, touchdown. I'm jumping up and down. The crowd is polite golf applause. Our kicker comes on, kicks the extra point. They go nuts. They go nuts. It went crazy. And I realized, oh my God, they cheered at all the wrong times. They did the wave the entire game long. They did the Olay song the entire game long. So I had a fan committee. I said, tell me what we're doing doing right. He says, Andrew, too many meetings. What do you mean meetings? You run a play, then you meet. You run a play, then you meet. I'm like, yeah, they're huddles. No, no more meetings. I said, all right. I tell the coach they don't want to meet. What's meet? Huddle? No, screw them. We run plays. We run huddles. So that was the unique status of Barcelona. It was not just a job. It was an adventure. I could never get enough food. We ordered food for 60. It was gone after 20. I never ate. I put night tables with pillows at the end of each bed so their feet didn't flop over. We had all those logistical problems. Our uniforms were constantly ruined in the wash. I had to pay off customs to get our uniforms. Those are all the challenges of working for a team. But anyway, after two seasons, suspended, came back to NFL Europe without Barcelona, and I went back into the agent business. My time there was really dominated by a player named Ricky Williams, who I recruited two years at University of Texas. I was a mid-sized agent, but here I got the guy. I got a top five pick. And if you're an agent, like, that's gold. I had him. And when you sign Ricky Williams after the Heisman Trophy, I'm traveling around the world. My wife's like, what do you do on these trips? I don't do anything. I'm just protecting the asset. Well, I didn't do such a good job of that because Ricky, meeting with these guys, are hanging around. I'm like, who are these guys? Well, they work for Master P. Who's Master P? Rapper. What's going on? I want you to work with P. Me with P? Yeah. I said, what's going on? Well, I, I like you, but I, like, I want to work starting a new agency. So <laughs> I, I'm telling my wife, I think I'm going to work for this guy, Master P. And that's where it was going. Because I go back to my agency, I say, yeah, I don't have Ricky. He's with Master P. That's a problem. So I'm in a little bit of a bind because the watershed client of my career is telling me we're going with Master P. So... Exact same time it happens. Exact same time I'm getting calls from the Green Bay Packers. Now, I had a client 
there who just retired from this area a year ago retired, Matt Hasselbeck. He was a third-string quarterback. I'm like, I can't talk about Hasselbeck now. They said, we're not calling about Hasselbeck. Why are you calling? Well, Mike Holmgren, our coach, just went to Seattle. Okay, I watched SportsCenter. He took Reinfeld. Reinfeld was the guy that ran the whole business operation. Holmgren took him to the Seahawks. I'm like, okay, sorry to hear. They said, well, how'd you like to switch sides? Come to Green Bay? Yeah, switch sides. So I decide, I go and meet him, I'm very frank, I say, please don't take offense to this question, but do I have to actually move here to do this job? <laughs> and they looked at me and they were said, honestly, no offense taken, but yeah, you got to be here. So I decided to do it, not so much, I just felt like it's time to get off the train of representing players. I know a lot of people here want to represent players, be an agent, but that is a rough life, especially when you start a family at that time. I had two young kids. So I moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin, not the most geographically desirable move in the world, and I'm working for the Packers. And my role there was really, if you look at what everyone knows what a coach does, what a scout does, what does the vice president of administration do? What does the capologist, the contract negotiator do? Well, obviously I negotiate all the contracts. Obviously I ran the cap. Obviously I'm the liaison with the NFL anything business, anything player-oriented, anything where there's a grievance about discipline, about contract issue, I was involved with that. But I think the best way to describe what I did was really the balance, the fulcrum between the business side and the player football side. Because on the business side, everything is long-term. What are we looking at after the CBA? In, our, in my case, what do we do when Brett retires? It's very long-term. On the football side, very immediate. Andrew, can we get this guy signed today? Can he be on the field Sunday? Can he practice tomorrow? Now. So sometimes I was the voice of caution to the football side, like chill. Okay? We got enough money in D-line this year. We'll do it next year. Just relax. And sometimes I'm the voice of aggression to the business side, like, yeah, we need to make this happen. Need another million dollars. I'm going to make this happen. And so what you do is you really try to be that fulcrum point. And as you listen around this conference, every team needs that person. Because the football, the sports, the basketball, the soccer, the hockey, they want to move. <laughs> they want to move. Like now. Coaches. Management. But the business side is very long-term. Like, we'll, we'll, you know, what are we looking like in 2025? So you have that, and you've you got to make sure these organizations don't become siloed for that reason. So I was that person, and I, I think it was very important to have that person. That's sort of the nutshell of what you do. Obviously, you negotiate all the contracts, a couple of the major ones. Obviously, I'm always dealing with Brett. Uh, Brett was... <laughs> was and is the most interesting guy I've dealt with because the season would end in January or February, hopefully, and he'd be gone. He'd be out in the woods, hunting, fishing, whatever he's doing. And I would have to redo his contract a couple times, and I had like seven contracts waiting to get Brett's done. And I couldn't find him and his agents down there, and finally I said, all right, I'm going down. I'm going down. I'm going to Southern Mississippi and finding them. And I get into one of those uh, greasy spoons that he comes in every day and uh, he opens the door. 
what the shit are you doing here? We've got to do your contract. We've got to do your contract. I'm so nervous. He says, relax, relax. I relax. We do it. It took forever. Because he just wanted to know, and this is what players want to know. They don't care if it's a dollar or a hundred million dollars. And by the way, Brett was the first, I'm not happy to say, I gave it out, the first hundred million dollar contract in the NFL. But they just want to know they're making a little more than the next guy. And in that case, back then, the next guy was like Drew Bledsoe, or the next guy was Steve McNair, or even Mark Brunel back then, or Jeff Garcia even. They wanted to know that. So it's not a question of this dollar or that dollar. It's a big thing with insecurity and ego are dominant in the business. You've got to make people feel good about what they're getting. In the case of Woodson, people know the Packers are not a big free agent team, of course. But this is one we saw. We were in free agency that year. We look around and like, oh, my God, no one is running. Running is like chasing Charles Woodson of the Raiders. Like, no one's chasing him. So we go after him. And I engage the agent on Charles Woodson on, like, March 15th. And he signed with us on, like, April 26th. In other words, we had the best offer for over a month. And I knew he didn't want to come. But somehow, some way, I had to keep grinding, keep grinding. I was like the Green Bay Chamber of Commerce because I just knew I'm the only offer. I'm negotiating against myself, but gosh, this is so hard because it's like he's probably thinking, please, someone besides Green Bay, come after me. Please. Nobody did. And finally, the the agent sort of just asked, like, Andrew, are there any black people up there? I'm like, no. (laughs) But I'm a Jew. (laughs) You know, there aren't many Jews up here. And I'm doing all right. I'm enjoying it. And then I sort of said, okay, let's like Michigan, Ann Arbor, even though Ann Arbor's a lot more diverse than Green Bay. Like, he'll he'll enjoy it. It's going to be like college. It's going to be great. They wrap themselves around the team. You'll love it. (sighs) Okay. Finally, we got him. That was a grind because I knew he really didn't want to come there. And coming from the Raiders where there are no rules to the Packers, where we had a lot of, we had a lot of rigidity at some levels, was a, was an, a, it was an adjustment for Charles. And then he became really involved. And, you know, I took piano lessons in Green Bay. Guess who else took the piano lessons from this guy? Charles Woodson. So it became part of the community, and he became, of course, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, it's different in Green Bay. We don't have an owner. Some of the things that weren't an owner were good. Uh, You know, I had incredible autonomy. Now, luckily, I'm a pretty risk-averse person. You're not negotiating contracts where $10 million deal or a $20 million deal. There's really no one above me to say, hey, Andrew, that's bad. That's good. That's good. Okay, whatever. I had that responsibility, and I led all these great personnel evaluators, Ted Thompson, Reggie McKenzie, John Schneider, Elliot Wolf, John Dorsey, do what they did. I stayed in my lane. We tried to marry personnel and cap contracts in a way that was unique at that time. 
you call it Moneyball, you call it analytics, we were, I'd like to think, ahead of the curve. We had a CEO mostly on the business side. We had an executive committee mostly on the business side. We had a board of directors that met every quarter that I would make presentations to, and they're like, great job, you know? I remember one of those board of directors was a guy named Bud Sieg, who would sit in those meetings and just shake his head. I'd talk about the cap and the structure and the fact that everybody's relatively equal with, with pay. He would just shake his head. Like, we don't have that. I'm like, yeah, we do. It's a unique structure. Uh, but Green Bay, of course, <laughs> it wraps itself around a team like no other professional market. I'm pumping gas. I'd get a pat. Hey, how's that Donald Driver contract going? You know, it's like you could not move in that town without talking Packers. Ultimately, that became a little bit like the walls were closing in, but while I was there, it was a great experience. Obviously, the big thing in terms of draft was when we picked Aaron. You know, the thing about picking Aaron was it was the ultimate moment in sports where you are balancing what I talked about, where you're balancing the present and the future. And you have to make that call because we had absolutely no need for Aaron Rodgers. Zero. We had the most durable quarterback in the history of football. I would try to get backup quarterbacks every year. I'd talk to Trent Dilfer or Kerry Collins or whoever these they were. And they were like, no way. Because I'm not coming there because, number one, it's freezing. And number two, I want to have the opportunity at some point, maybe, somehow, someway, play. Brett never misses a play, ever. Ever. He plays hurt, he plays injured, he plays whatever. He plays. So I would always call a guy you may have heard of recently named Doug Peterson. Sometime in April in Louisiana, I'd say, hey, Doug, can you come be our backup quarterback? Because he, he has such a great lack of ego. He's like, yeah, you know, the 10 guys you tried couldn't come. I'm like, yeah. Uh, so Doug would come back. I'd, first of all, I'd do a contract with him on the phone for three minutes, give him all these incentives, which he knew and I knew he'd never make, because Brett never missed a play. And uh, Doug was great. I mean, Doug was Brett's best friend. Doug was Brett's counselor. Doug was Brett's guru, our coach on the field. I saw what you see now is great coaching ability. And Doug was the guy we called when Brett lost his dad. We couldn't find Brett, of course. He never had a phone. We found Doug. And Doug with Brett. So, so valuable. But at some point, we realized, well, we should actually get someone to be our future quarterback at some point. Because all due respect, it wasn't going to be Doug. And 2005 draft, we have our board. And on the top board, like every draft room, I think, has your first, second, third, six, four, five, six, seven rounds. We had that year maybe, I think, 19 or 20 players that we rated as first rounds. So the draft begins... And the 49ers take Alex Smith. It was going to be Smith or Rodgers. It was down to the wire. It was 51, 49%, whatever. They took Smith. And we're noticing that. But 
we were thinking we're going to take a defensive player. We got all these guys we're looking at drafting, like DeMarcus Ware, like Derek Johnson, like Marcus Spears, I remember. And all, as we're watching, two things are happening. Number one, no, no one's taking Rodgers. We thought Gruden would take him at number five. He told him, yeah, it took Cadillac Williams. Number six, Tennessee. Yeah, they're taking him. No, they took Pac-Man Jones. Uh, Kansas City's taking him. Definitely taking him. No, they took Derek Johnson. So two things. No one's taking Aaron. And all those players we liked are being taken. So we get to that moment. We're actually before that moment. We're getting there. And, and I'm sitting in the middle. And on my left is management our GM, Ted Thompson, and on our right are the coaches. And I start hearing the rumblings, like, like there is a combustible effect going on over here because they start realizing what is about to happen. They are thinking this could happen, like we could take a player in the first round of the draft that is not going to help us, is not going to help us that year, may not help us the next year, may not help us the third year, may not ever help us. And if you're a coach, that is upsetting. That is upsetting. And I sort of hear this rumbling like, oh my God, we cannot do that. They're going to freaking take Aaron Rodgers. They are mad. And then I go over to management and it's like, okay, here we go. What do we always say? Three-word mantra in the draft room, in the war room, trust the board. And we get to pick 24 in the 2005 draft, and we have name, one name up there in the first-round grade. He's a quarterback from Cal named Aaron Rodgers. We got a lot of defensive players in the second round, and that's what the coaches want. Jump in there and get a second-rounder. But we say trust the board. Ted says, get Mike on the phone. Mike is Aaron's agent. Okay, so I do. And poor guy. First of all, I call, say, uh, Mike? He says, no, this is Aaron. Oh, gosh. It's Andrew Brandt from the Green Bay Packers. Can I talk to Mike? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so he passes the phone. And the poor kid's been sitting there all day, five hours. Mike's telling me about the caterers or stacking the chairs this is before the, the green room moved people around, and, and the poor guy, his family's giving Mike the side eye all day. What the hell's going on? And I'm, Mike is like, Andrew, you're going to take him? You're going to take him? You're going to take him? You're gonna... I'm like, just chill. Hold on. Hold on. So 15 minutes that back then, that is saying, get on the phone and don't tell him anything. I'm like, okay. All right. And I'm sitting there. I can't say anything. The room is quiet. The coaches are rumbling. Everybody's looking at me on the phone, but more importantly, they're waiting for the phone to ring because the phone could ring. We could get three number twos. We could get next year's number ones. We could get anything, and we would not have Aaron Rodgers, and the NFL would look a lot different. That phone never rang. Crickets. Absolute silence. 13 minutes, I'm keeping this poor kid on hold. Two minutes left, Ted is like, God, you know, one more minute? Everyone's like, no, just tell him. Okay, tell him. So we picked Aaron. 
We picked a guy from a future, a present needs point of view was the best position we needed. I used to argue we don't need a second quarterback with Brett Favre. Just save the roster spot. You know, we don't need a second quarterback. We just need one. But anyway, we took him. And that was a seminal moment because it was, a, as I said, this was, this was all about the future. It's very tough for teams to do that. And Aaron, it three years. I can say this, and prove me I'm wrong in 10 years, but I don't think it will ever happen again, ever, that an NFL first-round quarterback for three years. I don't think that'll ever happen again. Too much pressure. Get them on the field. The starter throws three interceptions. The fans are mad. I mean, look at Mitchell Trubisky and Mike Glennon. Glennon lasted three games. These things happen all the time. So this is what's going on when you look at those things. Decision-making in Green Bay, as I mentioned, it's much different than other have an owner, I would have around the league that would come to me and they'd say, they've been working on a contract for three months. The owner walks in one day and says, I want that guy signed today. I'm like, I don't got that. You know, I can negotiate as I please. The one thing that I found to be a very difficult thing for me is that I am a former agent. Okay. I'm a former agent and a lot of guys would say, Andrew, I like you. I trust you. You see, you've been on the player side. Let's negotiate without an agent. And at first, I thought, that's awesome. Number one, it's a bonding experience. And number two, I'll get a great deal for the Packers because that's my job, and that's not the player's job. And I found out that was the worst experiences I've ever had negotiating because when I would negotiate with players directly, this is raw. This is raw. You're telling person's self-worth, and you're telling them you're not as good as that guy on Denver or Dallas or Detroit. You're telling them you're not as good as you think. And I lost relationships. I appreciated more than ever the value of an agent at that point because an agent is a buffer. The agent does what things that are presentation-oriented that you don't have to worry about in a direct conflict with a player. So... Players did want to negotiate after those experiences. I had three of them. I'm like, I'm not doing it again. You bring in an agent. I don't care if you don't pay him or not, but just bring him in. So that's one experience. The other thing that comes up all the time now, my time is short, is character. I have a picture there after doing a contract uh, with for a player named Darren Sharper. Darren was the guy. When we looked around at our team in terms of presentation, in terms of on-field and off-field presence, wow, sharper. We sent him out to all the community events. He was a great player for us, and he was a great community guy for us. And for those who don't know, he has now been convicted of many, many rapes. And you just never know people. You never know. The other thing with character is that when you start thinking about all the things that have happened with conduct. I I deal with Roger Goodell all the time. I tell him, you are the conduct commissioner. You have made it a priority. And the problem with the NFL or any sport is every player has this mix between talent and character. As you know from my Twitter, I always say greater talent equals greater tolerance. But sometimes you have to make that call. 
I remember sitting in a room with a defensive line coach. Defensive line, by the way, that's, I could write a book about them. <laughs> they are, they can provide some issues. Uh, he's looking at me. He wants to sign this guy who's got a rap sheet a block long. Drunken disorderly, sexual assault, sexual assault, sexual assault. I'm like, you know what? There is no way in God's green earth we can bring that guy in here. We just can't. And I'll never forget what he said to me in a very in-my-face way. He said, Andrew, what do you think we're asking him to come in here and do? What do you mean? We're not asking him to teach sixth grade. We're not asking him to lead a boys' choir. We're not asking him for Sunday school. Here's what we're asking this guy to do. Come in here, have 75 street fights a day, and win them. That's what we're asking him to do. So this rap sheet doesn't bother me. I said, yeah, but he's got to be able to turn it off. Yeah, he can. I'm like, no, he can't. He can't. So this is the constant battles you have. In fact, I won that battle, you know, because then it goes up to the GM. We make our cases. But I lost a lot of other battles because you have to make that determination. Again, you're talking about talent versus character. And that's always going to be an issue when you talk about athletics because you're not going to get all sweethearts. And you have to understand what the proper balance is. The one thing that I I always tell people about working for an NFL team is you have that locker room down there. It's not all kumbaya. You have people from totally different backgrounds. You have position groups that don't even talk to each other because they just don't have much in common. And you're trying to balance all that. You have to allow for things that handled down there when it would reach a bubbling point, I would be involved from a management point of view. I had one thing, and then I know my time's up, but quickly, I had a, one player who was totally insubordinate to a coach. He didn't respect him. He didn't like him. And the coach said, I don't like the way he does things, but I, I, basically I had to have an intervention. They came to my office. They sat there. I said, we can't have this. So you guys are going to talk. You guys are going to talk. And there was silence for four minutes. Think about silence for four minutes. I was looking at my watch. I counted. Four minutes. And I didn't say anything. And finally, they talked it out. Now, did they get along? No. No. But I said, I'm not, we're not firing the coach, and we're not cutting the player. So here we are. Deal with it. My time's up. Uh, oh, no, they give me a minute. <laughs> um, the other thing that I wanted, I can maybe talk about quick. No, it's up. <laughs> I didn't allow for questions. I had a lot to get through. I'll say hello to as many as I can as I leave, but thanks again. Appreciate it. Really hope you enjoyed listening to that, taking you inside the curtain, especially the drafting of Aaron Rodgers. I always think about how that room was 13 years ago and how the NFL would be so different If someone called with an offer while we were on the clock or some other team took Aaron Rodgers, this is how the franchise-defining decisions get made sometimes by circumstance as much as anything else. You can leave a question for the podcast. I'll answer it here on the podcast. Call voicemail 484-416-5654. Again, 484-416-5654. 
Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brand. Listen to the podcast wherever you hear podcasts. Give us a good rating on iTunes. You can hear it on Stitcher. Tune in. Podcast One, RossTucker.com, wherever you hear your podcasts. And I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.